Alright, good evening everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 147 uh, as we continue. I think it's session number 23, I want to say, on the uh, Council of Elrond. Um, we're doing great, making some excellent progress, I think. Uh, we've settled in at about a slide a night, which I think is a comfortable pace. Uh, really, we don't want to we don't want to rush things. Um, two announcements I want to make before I start class tonight. Uh, the first is a uh, well, okay, it's not exactly an announcement so much as, as a warning. <laughs> that is, uh, of course, we haven't missed any classes in a long time because uh, I've not been traveling anywhere uh, ever since the pandemic thing began. Um, so, and it's normally travel, which uh, leads to my not being able to be available. However, um, uh, about uh, a few weeks from now, I'm going to have to miss at least one, possibly two, we'll see, uh, classes in a row. And for a very good reason. Uh, we are coming up on a very, very important deadline uh, at Signum. And I am uh, going, I am uh, sort of leading the team, which is compiling a very voluminous time, writing a book, essentially, in the next, uh, well, finishing my book, that is, in the next four weeks. Don't get too excited. It's not an exciting book. Uh, well, except it is kind of an exciting book. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, not, uh, not, uh, anyway. It's all good. The point is, I'm going to have to kind of go into retreat mode for a little bit in order to make my deadline. My deadline is uh, the 15th of July. So the first couple, for definitely the second week of July, possibly the first week of July, uh, things are going to be a little bit uncertain uh, as far as uh, class is concerned. So I'll keep you posted. I just wanted to give a general uh, kind of uh, caution about that. Um, uh, so just, uh, uh, don't be, don't be too shocked. Uh, we're, you know, we're obviously we're having class this week. Uh, next week we'll be fine as well. Uh, uh, probably the week after that too. Um, but then as I say, I'll have to miss at least one for sure, possibly two, uh, in a row. We will see what happens here as we get, uh, closer to things. Uh, so anyway, just, uh, just wanted to warn you that that was coming. Um, the second thing, the second announcement I wanted to make is I wanted to uh, remind you guys about our Signum Path classes that are happening. And I wanted to make a, an announcement about that, about a, a, a special that we are uh, going to be running here uh, for July and August. It's certainly going to go through the end of this month. So you remember, Signum Path is our new program, which I'm really excited about. Uh, it's our new program uh, for skills training, foundational skills training. All those, what are traditionally, what are often called soft skills, right? Which uh, uh, it was interesting. I was just uh, uh, hearing about an article earlier today uh, which uh, showed that 80% of uh, human resources folks said that they think that people really need better soft skills. It would be a huge benefit in the workplace if they had better soft skills. But only 10% of those same people um, actually were allocating budget money to train people <laughs> in soft skills, right? Like that's, and that's a really interesting kind of situation, right? So what that, the kind of the punchline of that story, it would seem to me, uh, is that uh, if you want to be able to improve yourself in these ways um, that are going to be really valuable and which everybody recognizes is super important for your career, 
Well, it's kind of up to you because a lot of uh, a lot of companies just are not uh, allocating any money uh, for that kind of training. We have this kind of training available to the public. It's uh, um, it's uh, it's just it's a really great opportunity. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, Signum Path is a brand new program, and we really want to encourage people to 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 try it out. We know that you know our program is only gonna uh, is only gonna flourish you know as people discover like how awesome it is. So here's what we're gonna do. Um, we are currently registering. So if you click on the register button, here's the our registration page. Uh, we have four of our, we have these four different badges that we offer and we're doing four classes in July and four classes again in August, as you can see, uh, in, in, uh, in each of these badges. Wait, no one class in each badge, four badge, four total classes. That's, that's, that's the way it works. Anyway. Uh, so if you register for a class in July, uh, then we will let you take a class in August for free. We're going to do, for a short time, we're going to do a, a two-for-one deal uh, on our PATH classes. So here's what you do. Uh, go to the registration page here, register for a class in July, any of the classes in July that you want, uh, and then send us an email at path at signumu.org. Uh, and we will, and, and, and you can reserve your spot. We don't, I don't, I don't have a, 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 we have a brand new registration system and I don't have coupon code capabilities here or else I just give you a code. Uh, so instead just send us an email and we'll get you plugged into your second class, uh, as well. Um, so anyway, that's, I wanted to let you know about this really special offer. So go to path.signumuniversity.org, which is our homepage. Check out our upcoming classes. Uh, decide on a July class that you want to take. And then you can also take an August class uh, for free, just sort of included in that as part of this introductory uh, uh, package. So anyway, wanted to let you guys know about that because it's a really, uh, it's a really, it's a really fun opportunity. So, okay. With that said, let us go to the text. And I'm going to jump straight to the text today. Because I have a really ambitious goal. Two slides. My goal is two slides tonight. I definitely want to get to the words of Isildur tonight. Uh, but before that, we have one more um, uh, slide of build-up. Uh, from from Gandalf. So he's just finished. He, so said Denethor, right? Uh, Thus quoth Denethor, says uh, um, Gandalf here. Uh, and we talked about his choice to make a direct quotation of Denethor, right? And the, the interesting significance of that. Um, and yet there lie in his hordes many records. Remember, and what he's quoting, right? What he's pointing out is that Denethor had said uh, that he is the master of the lore of his city, right? So said Denethor. And yet there lie in his hordes many records that few even of the lore masters now can read, for their scripts and tongues have become dark to later men. And Boromir, there lies in the... in. Coming again. And Boromir, there lies in Minith Tirith still, unread, I guess, by any save Saruman and myself, since the kings failed, a scroll that Isildur made himself. For Isildur did not march away straight from the war in Mordor, as some have told the tale. Some in the north, maybe, Boromir broke in. All know in Gondor that he went first to Minas Anor and dwelt a while with his nephew Meneldil, instructing him, before he committed to him the rule of the South Kingdom. In that time he planted there the last sapling of the white tree in memory of his brother. But in that time also he made this scroll, said Gandalf. And that is not remembered in Gondor, it would seem, for this scroll concerns the ring, and thus wrote Isildur therein. 
Okay. Um, so, yeah, J.J. Boromir does know his lore, and yeah, okay, so Mike is pointing out that perhaps Boromir's all in Gondor, no, all know in Gondor, might perhaps be a little bit sweeping. Yeah, yeah, that might be a little bit of hyperbole uh, on his part. Um, I doubt 100% of the residents of, uh, you know, the citizens of Gondor know this piece of lore, but it's seems commonly understood, right? Uh, and that doesn't, uh, doesn't seem very surprising. Um, <laughs> yeah, but so, well, Lincoln, I don't think it is that shocking that everyone in Gondor would know the details of what their city's founder did 3,000 years ago. Um, especially since seeing that we see, you know, as we can see, especially when we get there, right, um, how pivotal this moment is in Gondorian history, right? Um, that... Uh, some memory would be retained of Isildur's movements, not just because it's not just of his movements, right? I mean, like the planting of the white tree. That's a big deal. Like, it's a really big deal in Gondor. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think Eorth passes that lore around. Hmm. Does Eorth know this? Is she, is she, uh, does she know uh, about what Isildur did? I don't know. I'm not sure if Eorth uh, knows this. JJ suggests it's part of the Gondorian citizenship test, which I have no doubt. If you're applying for Gondorian citizenship, you would certainly have to know that. Um, yeah, yeah, good. Now, Matt points out that this passage does seem to... Remember, we were debating last week about... Um, uh, when Denethor's words that Gandalf was quoting, talking about uh, the 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 past being less dark than the future, right? And the question was, what, what exactly he meant? What sense of dark did he mean? Or possibly more than one. Um, dark in the sense of, like, evil and creepy, or dark in the sense of unknown and uh, obscure, right? Um, and Matt is uh, suggesting that this passage would seem to indicate that the dark meaning... Uh, is about understanding and uh, and not understanding rather than thinking of bad times. Um, yes, uh, I agree, Matt. The Gandalf's transition here does suggest that, right? So said Denethor, you know, about the past not being dark to him, and yet there lie in his hordes many records that few even of the lore masters can, now can read, right? Um, so that would suggest, that, like, you know, he thinks the past is not dark, he thinks he knows everything about the past, but maybe actually he missed a few bits, right? Um, I agree, that does seem to make it more likely to me. Um, uh Fourth Dalla says that Gandalf seems a, a bit nettled here. I, I agree. Gan that both now look, Gandalf sounding a bit tetchy is hardly unusual, right? It's hardly out of character for Gandalf. Um, but um, but I agree that he's. I've always thought his tone in this passage was a little bit odd. Uh, not odd. It's not exactly odd, but pointed, right? And and. Okay, it's not odd, but it's in a way that I never really myself understood. Um, and you can see it in two places, right? First, so said Denethor, right? Uh, now, that one never struck me quite so much, uh, but that's because I never I never quite realized how snide that could potentially sound, right? But if we're right about the dark thing, then it does begin to sound a little bit snide, right? Um, so said Denethor, right? Uh, almost, I mean... It would be going further than he's going here to paraphrase that as so much for Denethor, right? But it kind of, you know, has at least a little bit 
of that edge to it, you know, I would say. Um, so that's interesting, you know, on its own. Um, but, um, uh, but even more importantly, and, and uh, for Thoughtless, I wonder if this is the passage that you're talking about, the, uh, but in that time also he made this scroll, uh, is a sentence that always struck me as kind of strange, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, so the when somebody was talk, we're t- talking about uh, hordes, and yet there lie in his hordes many records. It, we were talking about that also last time, right? How an archive is essentially a hoard, right? Um, uh, and his hoarded scrolls is what we talked about. And so he's Gandalf is here just alluding back to the phrase that he used before. Um, but see, again, that's another thing that kind of makes me think that he was um, that he's being a little bit snippy in in his so said Denethor comment. Let me go back to that for a second. Here's the last slide. Um, he had said before slightly more neutrally. Um, uh, where is it? Um, yes. Uh, and grudgingly, he permitted me to search among his hoarded scrolls and books. And we talked about how there was like a, just, just a hint of, um, not an accusation, but of a criticism there, right? That Denethor's attitude was a little bit dragonish, right? In, uh, his, the uh, the lack of uh, grace with which he you know the the grudgingness with which he opened up uh, and allowed Gandalf to go to his archives and so his using the adjective the adjective hoarded to describe his scrolls and books was um, um, not a really sharp criticism but you know it's there right. But the second time, when he repeats the word, and he doesn't just use it as an adjective, he's not just characterizing the scrolls as hoarded, right? Um, but he instead says, and yet there lie in his hordes many records that few of the lore masters now can read. Um, and of course, I can't help but remember the passage in The Hobbit that talks about how the dragons always knew um, uh, the exact value of their hordes, but they didn't have any use for it, right? Or even know a good bit of work from a bad. Um, and that all begins to, you know, his, um, he seems to, uh, again, this seems to be a sharper criticism of Denethor here, right? Um, see, he really is like a dragon. Not only is he hoarding these scrolls, but he's hoarding them away where no one else can read them, and he can't even read them, right? Um, he's just preventing uh, knowledge in that way. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, Mad Violinist says that this passage puts the previous one ending so said that Denethor is definitely casting serious shade. Yes, I agree. Um, and and uh, Mad Violinist, when we get to that last paragraph, right? But in that time also, he made this scroll, and that is not remembered in Gondor, it would seem. Um is even a more overt dig, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, um, uh, Sam there is asking, in his usage of horde, can we conclude that not just 
anyone in Minas Tirith is allowed to read these. Well, you know, I don't know if we can necessarily extrapolate to a general... I mean, Gandalf's main point is that he was barely allowed to read them, right? As, again, as the grudgingness of Denethor. Um, does that prove that he never lets any human being in? No, that doesn't necessarily prove that. There may well be Gondorian scholars who do have access to the archives uh, and whom Denethor does not... You know, it's not doesn't necessarily prove that Denethor prevents all people from possibly benefiting uh, from the lore of Minas Tirith. Um, but, uh, but again, it's certainly a much more pointed criticism, I would say, uh, of Denethor's attitude than, than Gandalf sort of permitted himself in the previous paragraph. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Mike is saying that uh, it seems that Gandalf is remembering how he was treated by Denethor, perhaps even more slightingly than he made explicit in this speech. Um, he could be being kinder than he wants to be, and some of his bitterness is bleeding through. So, Mike, in other words, you're saying this is Gandalf attempting to be diplomatic and mostly succeeding but partially failing, right? Uh, the words that he is saying, or most of the words that he's saying, are carefully chosen and uh, and uh, sort of neutral. Uh, but we can we can see his clear attitude. You know, this is not Gandalf's strong suit, and he's not doing it super well. Um you know, I, uh, uh, I can, I can imagine that. I can imagine that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's see. Um, Yeah, so, okay, several of you are talking about the language stuff. We're not there yet. And remember, as always, um, it's okay if you guys want to make comments about parts of the passage that I uh, that I haven't broached yet. Just remember, there's always a really strong risk that your comment is going to get washed downstream and I'll never see it. Uh, because I... I I can't just jump around. I'm not going to just jump around. I mean, sometimes I do, but uh, that's not the plan. I'm not going to start off that way. Um, uh, so, yeah, I'm, 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 I want to focus here first on Gandalf's tone, and then we'll get to his comments about the scrolls, the scroll in particular. Okay. Um, so, so his attitude, I do think that he... Um, uh, Nettled to go back to your original word for Dauntless uh, seems seems fair, and to say that he's been then extra nettled uh, by Boromir's interruption um, doesn't seem far to seek, right? Um, and I, I think it's the interruption that prompts the, and that is not remembered in Gondor, it would seem, right? Um, which is a little snappish, right? Um, okay, Mister, like. Uh, you know, still trying to prove that uh, the glory of Gondor has not fallen off and modern Gondorians are still on top of things, right? Okay, right? Well, like, uh, sit down now. Um, uh, that is not remembered in Gondor, it would seem. And notice, of course, that not only does Gandalf... Um, that comment, the... Uh, uh, that is not remembered in Gondor, it would seem, is not only a sort of snide rejoinder to Boromir's interruption, but it also 
alludes back to one of Boromir's earlier comments um, a little bit ago, right? Uh, you may remember that it was Boromir who interrupted Elrond by bursting out, Isildur took it, that is tidings indeed, right? Betraying the fact that it is not remembered in Condor that Isildur uh, took the ring back after he left, right? Um, and so Gandalf, of course, was going to reveal the fact that the, uh, the, this scroll makes it explicitly clear that, um, uh, that Isildur took the ring, right? Um, is not quoting it, but he is alluding back, I think, to Boromir's earlier comment, uh, because if anyone knew this scroll, if anyone in Gondor knew this scroll, um, if this were part of that lore that all in Gondor know, then it would not have been news to Boromir, obviously, right? Um, um, but Boromir has revealed the fact that the general, uh, the general state of lore, right, uh, in Gondor, uh, is totally unaware of what happened um, to the enemy's ring. Though, again, I suggested that the way that Boromir says that, at least potentially, implies that it's been a subject of debate, right? Um, it might possibly not only be among the wise uh, that uh, the enemy's ring is a great ring of, uh, of long debate, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, good one. I'm way behind on you guys. Um, let's see. Right, not remembered or not known. We will see. Yeah, Sam Burke is uh, wondering about Gandalf's social skills. He seems to make himself many enemies. Yeah, yeah. No, he's um, got some rough edges. Gandalf does. No question. No question. Um, yeah. Let's see. Yeah, I agree. Flamifer Gandalf clearly never took Signum Path. Though Dullerstruck, I can't. We can't. Uh, we can neither confirm nor deny that Saruman graduated uh, and uh, got some badges from Signum Path, thus improving clearly uh, his uh, soft skills. Um, now Tessa is asking a very sensible question: Does Gandalf do this on purpose? Like Aragorn ask, acts like a rascal on purpose. Um, well, not for the same reason, surely. I mean, that is, you know, Aragorn acts like a rascal, which is a harder sentence to say than I would have thought it would be. Um, Gandalf, sorry, Aragorn acts like a rascal because he's disguising himself, right? He doesn't want any, you know, is Gandalf doing the same thing? Do, does he want people to dismiss him as a grumpy old man? Um eh, you know, I um, I doubt it, especially in this environment. I mean, what does Gandalf have to hide at this point, right? Um, I can imagine circumstances in which Gandalf would not want to be 
taken with a certain kind of seriousness, right? There, that, or rather, let me say it another way. I can imagine Gandalf being in many circumstances where being taken with a certain kind of seriousness would be disadvantageous, right? He doesn't necessarily want to inspire like awe and wonder everywhere he goes. It's kind of hard to blend in, right? It's kind of hard to just get to know people and uh, connect with folks if you're uh, demanding awe and respect everywhere you go. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I don't think, um, so I can imagine him not being sort of on his dignity, um, in the way that Saruman appears to be. Um, but, um, but yeah, his quick temper, I'm not sure if that's about disguise. You know, I'm not really sure that that's about uh, him trying to blend in uh, exactly so much as it just seems to be part of his character, really. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> JJ says, if I'd lived in Middle-earth as long as Gandalf and been in constant contact with people as silly as some of his friends, I'd be pretty grumpy, too. Very possibly. Very possibly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, good. Good. Um, well, so Sam is wondering if it's, you know, how likely is it that it's part of his personality because of his association um, that we hear about in uh, uh, in uh, the well mostly in unfinished tales his association with Nienna there are two things that I would say about that two cautions I would say about that caution number one um, Tolkien himself never fully made up his mind with whom Gandalf was associated right uh, Nienna uh, Irmo uh, Manway, right? I, I mean, th there was at least a brief, a brief glimmer of time in which uh, Tolkien was entertaining the possibility of having Gand of of having Gandalf be Manway in disguise, like Odin, you know, like sort of Odin esque, essentially, right? The old man wandering the world in disguise. Um, so, even in his retconning modes after the Lord of the Rings, Tolkien didn't make a final, permanently stamped. Um, answer to the question, who is Gandalf exactly? Like, Aloran, who is this Aloran fellow and what's his background? He had a, a bunch of different kinds of stories uh, that he was uh, thinking about there. Um, and, you know, never... Uh, again, there's, there was, there's no definitive answer in that sense. So that's one caution. But, of course, the other caution is that all that stuff is retconning, right? That's not... That's not it certainly was not what he was thinking of at this time. Gandalf's personality certainly long predates uh, even his being a Maya at all, basically. Um, but um, so, yeah, so I would be I'd be conscious about uh, being drawing to um, uh, drawing to many conclusions backwards based on that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, Karina, I'm thinking more along those lines as well, that um, uh, if you take on the form of a grumpy old man, you eventually start to take on the personality of one. Remember that they are incarnate, right? That they're not just Maiar manifesting themselves, the Istari, I mean, uh, in physical form like Maiar can do. Um, he is incarnate in a body, and so therefore would develop a personality, um, which might well be different than, uh, or, you know, would not be simply an expression of his, of his spirit, right? As it might have manifested itself back in Valinor. Um, uh, I can easily imagine, you know, Aloran returning back to, uh, uh, to Valinor, you know, at the end of the third age and Nienna hanging out with him and being like, well, you got a bit cranky, right? Over the last thousand years or so. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Angrist, it's quite possible that he has a bad hip <laughs> like the rest of us. Uh, it's possible. <laughs> it's very possible. Um, I, I wouldn't... Th- now, we know that they age very slowly, but we know that they age, right? He looks older when uh, Frodo notices. Even Frodo, who's known him less long than a lot of other people. Right? Isn't that Aragorn? Say, or Bilbo, even, saying, you know, in 70 years, actually, Gandalf, you look a little older than you used to 70 years ago. No, this is Frodo saying in nine years, you look older than you did nine years ago. Right. Um, so, yeah, his body changes. His body definitely ages. Um, but, um, <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Tessa, he was going through a stressful time and that's the point. Right. And it had an impact on him, a physical impact on him. Right. Uh, definitely. Yeah. No, not tra- <laughs> not trying to give Gandalf a hard time uh, for aging. Just saying uh, that uh, that doesn't happen with Maiar. Not in nine years. Not in the same way. Even if they're even if they're uh, uh, you know under a substantial amount of pressure. Um, but um, yeah, um, yeah. Good. Okay. Um, let's see. Yeah. Um, oh, good. So, uh, 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 and uh, thank you, Cook of Wooten Miner, for pointing out to me a comment that I missed before uh, that uh, Draken Tarachne was pointing out um, uh, that swift to anger and quick to laugh are connected traits. Uh, yeah, they are. They are. And um, it's, uh, it is interesting. Uh, it does tell us something about both of them. It's, if he were just a bitter, grumpy old man, that wouldn't be a good look, right? And I would think um, uh, that would be a bad a bad sign. That would be a bad look for Gandalf. But swift to anger and quick to laugh, um, I, I think there's empirical evidence to suggest that that outlook is uh, um, more... Uh, a better outlook than, uh, uh, than, say, Saruman's, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, he is a bit hasty, Matt. I agree. Okay. Um, Fourth Dauntless says, isn't that basically Tolkis? What, swift to anger and, uh, quick to laugh? Yeah. Yeah, well... I don't know that Tolkis is swift to anger. Tolkis is slow to anger, but quick to laugh. Um, Tolkis is slow to anger, but slow to let it go, also. 
once he has, you know, that's why he's one of the ones who's stalking around, not real happy with the parole of Melkor originally. Right. Um, yeah. So I think, uh, I think that he's, but, but the, certainly the quick to laugh thing is certainly very like Tolkien's. Um, yeah, but, but you're right, Zephan. Um, uh, Anger and laughter are certainly in that way, are both associated with uh, uh, with with Tolkis in that way. Um, okay, but thinking about Flamfer, I saw you were talking about um, the question of his sort of attitude to Boromir here. I would say there are a couple things. That is okay. Okay, I mean, I, let me be more specific of what I'm talking about. The question is, what is he? doing with Boromir, right? Is he antagonizing Boromir? Um, is he going out of his way to throw shade at Boromir's father in public? Because um, it kind of, a little bit, sounds like he's doing that. We had talked last time about the possibility that he was being diplomatic by quoting Denethor word for word, right? Um, well, if we're right about the tone at the top of that first paragraph, so said Denethor, and yet there lie in his hordes, um, that, that would seem to chuck the, the diplomacy pretty well right out the window uh, if that was his original goal, right? I mean, if you're going to first, if you're going to quote him so that you don't have to be on record, say anything questionable about him, and then immediately mock what he said, you know, I am... Um, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mad Violinist says, no, it was more of a set and then spike of Denethor's wisdom. Yeah, kind of sounds like that, doesn't it? Um, kind of sounds like all that, exactly, as uh, uh, Dracon Tarachne says, uh, Denethor said all that and he was wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of how it ends up sounding. So, so no, I think I'm going to have to go against the he was being diplomatic uh, thing. So if he's not being diplomatic, then what? Um, is he being aggressive against Boromir? Is he going out of his way to insult Boromir's father? Um, is he... Uh, uh, for I think it was you that were suggesting the possibility, maybe, that he's trying to put Boromir on guard, right? To warn him that something ain't quite right with your dad? Um, maybe. Maybe. Um, but I agree, Flamifer. He doesn't need to say anything about Denethor. It's quite beside the point. The whole purpose of his research trip was to say, I went to Minas Tirith, and at Minas Tirith, I found this uh, primary source, and it gives me the information that I needed. And with the information from that scroll, I can prove that this ring is Sauron's ring. Right? That's what needs to happen here. Um, Denethor is a bit part in that play at the absolute most, right? And yet he's gone out of his way to um, feature this, right? Um, wonderful question, Fourth Dauntless. Uh, do we know when this part of the dialogue was written? Did it come after the Siege of Minas Tirith was drafted? Uh, so Fourth Dauntless is asking, essentially, did Tolkien have the full story of the madness of Denethor in mind when he wrote this, uh, or not? Or did it predate it? Um, I don't remember. Uh, somebody could look that up. 
Somebody could look that up in The Return of the Shadow. It should be in The Return of the Shadow, I think. Um, any of you, especially any of you who did The Return of the Shadow discussion with me in the Mythgard Academy might be able to find it. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, let me see. If I had to guess... I mean, not just totally guessing out of the dark, but if I had to guess, I think it's I think it I don't think there's anything in here that couldn't have been written beforehand. Um Yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't think so. Um, so I. I would suspect that it would be earlier, not later. Um, but I. I mean. I, but as I say, I don't remember. Um, yeah. So interesting. Now, uh, uh, Wolfhound there points out that uh, the narrator implies that Boromir is being rude, right, by using the verb "broke in." to describe what Boromir is doing. Some in the North, maybe, Boromir broke in. And there's no question that Boromir certainly sounds nettled. And, yes, nettled in a similar direction to how he was nettled before, that is, about the glory of Gondor waning and all that kind of thing, right? Um, uh, and so here he immediately jumps in to point out, as I already said, that, you know, Lauren Gondor has not totally waned. But... Um, uh, but yet, I mean, he's responding to some, you know, fairly serious shade that was cast on his dad. Um, so I agree, Mark, nobody could blame him for being upset about that. Though, it's interesting that Boromir doesn't challenge it, doesn't say anything about it. Um, I don't know. Um, I mean, he's not going to call Gandalf out. I mean, he's not going to challenge him to a duel or something like that. Um, you know, demand an apology and ask him to retract his uh, sarcastic comments about his dad. Um, I don't see Boromir doing that here. Um, okay. Great. JJ, thank you for looking that up. JJ says he's not seeing anything about Denethor in the Council Drafts in The Return of the Shadow. So, just as he adds the reference to the brother later on, after Faramir's invented, which he wasn't originally, um, that he w would have come back and added the business, the stuff about Denethor uh, later on, too. That, um, uh, that doesn't surprise me. That doesn't surprise me. Um, I'd be interested, JJ, to... I'd, again, I can't... My book's over there. I can't look it up just now. Um, but seeing the, the analog passage, the introduction... What introduction does Isildur's passage get? Yeah. Um, 
Anyway, okay. Uh, so, does Boromir have a reason, or is he just being undiplomatic? Um, the reason I was asking about his reason is not because I think that necessarily Gandalf, like every word of Gandalf is carefully chosen in order to elicit a particular effect for a particular cause, um, you know, that he's trying to manipulate people into particular reactions. Nothing like that, I wouldn't think at all. Um, <clears throat> but the reason I ask the why question is that it's so unnecessary. He doesn't have to talk about Denethor at all. Right? Um, at all. Uh, and yet, you know, he goes out of his way to bring him up. Right? Um, Gandalf does. Uh, yeah. It does, I agree with you, Arden Cran, it does make it a little bit more realistically tetchy, right? That um, a council like this would get kind of spicy, you know, at certain moments, right? There would be some emotions would run high uh, at various points. Um, uh, you know, that's... Uh, um, yeah, I think that's very... I think that's very possible. Um Interesting. Fourth Dauntless says, we know that Gandalf's going to end his tale talking about Saruman. Uh, could be he's already thinking about it and he's just irritated. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. It's possible. And, of course, several people are pointing out that, remember, no one has had lunch yet. So that also might be sufficient explanation by itself. Agreed. Agreed. Um, uh, this, I think, perhaps is a downside to having councils like this hosted by elves uh, who thrive on speech alone, according to Bilbo. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, right, Sam says, nor will they for several months. <laughs> Only too true, I fear. Only too true. Um, uh, now, Angrist points out that he could also be irritated by the fact that the test for the ring has been known for an age and forgotten. That's possible. But, you know, I gotta think that Gandalf's, um, uh, that Gandalf's reaction to that fact would be relief, frankly. I don't think he would want more people to know. Um, I doubt he would want information about Isildur's relationship with the Ring of Power to be part of the Gondorian citizenship test. You know, like, it's enough for them to know that he uh, stayed and instructed his nephew, Meneldil. That's really probably good enough. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that he would want that knowledge in general population. Um, I mean, you're right, Wolfhound. It's true that everybody thinks the ring is long lost. Well, now, hang on. The Council of the Wise believes that because Saruman has assured them that it is so, that he has authoritative knowledge that that's the case. Um, that That's not necessarily word on the street. Word on the street is what? Ring? Huh? What? I mean, the the word on the street is "huh." Nobody's nobody knows about it. I mean, it's uh, uh, there are some stories which might include the fact that a ring of power existed, but most people don't know about it. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, now, fourth Dallas asking you're asking me the question is making me forget what Boromir said. Um, 
Does did Boromir think that it was destroyed? I, re- I remember him being surprised. Um, yeah, somebody quote me that passage again. I don't. I know. I know. Pretty sure it take me a while to dig through my slides on the uh, here to find it among our old slides. Um, right, he just bursts out. Isildur took it. That is tidings indeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, one possible reading of that phrase is, "Oh, we thought he destroyed it." Right. Um, uh, the other, uh, but there are other possible theories. Right. Um, it wouldn't be strange for them to think that Elrond took it, right? That the elves took custody of it, right? That's, um, that's, uh, pretty natural. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay. But let's go, let's loop back and talk about the language of the scroll there. Many records that few even of the lore masters now can read, for their scripts and tongues have become dark to later men. And, Boromir, there lies in Minas Tirith, still unread, I guess, by any save Saruman and myself, since the kings failed, a scroll that Isildur made himself. Um, okay. Um, so... Yeah, yeah. Um... Why? One, so one of the questions you guys were asking is why is it that uh, the scripts and tongues would have become dark to later men? I mean, yes, it's a 3,000-year-old text. Um, he does not suggest that it is so worn and faded uh, that um, it can no longer be read, right? Which, of course, is, uh, you know, possible enough, uh, especially if manuscripts in the Gondorian archives are treated with even a fraction of the cavalier attitude with which uh, uh, ancient manuscripts were treated in Peter Jackson's film. <laughs> oh, man. Like the 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 sort of uh, general wailing of archivists as Gandalf is depicted with a beer in one hand and like, you know, hoisting and shuffling manuscripts around, uh, you know, with next to the open flame. I mean, my goodness. Um, but um, yeah, that's uh, that was always a. Uh, 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 one of those scenes that and I, but actually, you know, I find it kind of illustrative, right? Um, illustrative. Illustrative of a very common mistake. Now, I'm not saying that Peter Jackson was necessarily mistaken about like he didn't know about this. But clearly, either the idea was rejected or never really thought through. This is a, you know, a scroll that was written 3,000 years ago. What shape would that scroll be in now? What would a piece of parchment look like, uh, feel like, act like, 3,000 years after it was originally written on, right? Um, And that's obviously not a question in in which they were particularly interested. But I don't... 
you know, I'm not saying like, oh, like we found a, you know, a, a continuity error, you know, in Peter Jackson's films. It's not the point. The point is that I think in general, and I've said this before, um, people tend, Lord of the Rings readers tend to, it's not that they don't know that 3,000 years have passed. It's that they tend not to think through what that means, right? Um, how, how obscure knowledge would be. Um, uh, that was 3,000 years old, right? Um, the gap in... Uh, it's just, it's very natural for people. So, again, like, it's one of the answers, that, it's one of the things I'm often reminding people of when people are asking questions like, well, then why didn't everybody know? Like, why, you know, surely they've all heard the story. 3,000 years, man. 3,000 years uh, have passed by. Um, uh, now, Fort Dauntless is wondering if it's possible that prior Gondorian lore masters recopied old scrolls for preservation. Certainly possible. Uh, notice that Gandalf d- does not say that he thinks he's the only one other than Saruman to have read this scroll since Isildur wrote it. Right? He says, since the kings failed. And I do... Um, yeah, JJ points out that 3,000 years ago is roughly the time of King David in Israel. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's, what we're, that's what we're talking about there. Um, but um, anyway, um, so yeah, it's long, a long, a long time ago. <laughs> Very long time ago. Um, uh, so, but I do think when he says, since the kings failed, I think what he's pointing to there is, you know, since Gondor began to wane, right? Um, Archival preservation has probably gone downhill in the last thousand years. Um, Lore has almost certainly gone downhill in the last thousand years. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, So, um... Anyway, but but anyway, notice that uh, um, notice that very nothing about the condition of the scroll is mentioned here. Right again, that would be a very plausible reason to believe that uh, it would not be readable by many now, or readable only with very great difficulty. Um, but that's not what he says. He says it's their scripts and it's the scripts and tongues, right? Two reasons why, and this, of course, is not hard. On the one hand, this is not hard to believe, right? Um, Obviously, languages do change a great deal uh, in much less time than 3,000 years. Uh, And certainly, Isildur would have been writing, I assume that Isildur would have been writing in Adunayak, which would still be known to lore masters, but again, uh, what form of Adonaiic would be best known to lore masters? Um, you know, that's it's uh, not to say that. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, just look at, for instance, the difference between you know Homeric Greek and New Testament Greek, for instance, right? To see another example of the rapid, relatively rapid, much more rapid than 3,000 years, uh, changing of a language, which um, wouldn't necessarily uh, uh, 
you know, which can make things difficult, right? Um, if your New Testament Greek is pretty good, that doesn't mean Homer is going to be 100% transparent to you. Um, anyway, uh, it is possible for Thoughtless that he recorded it in Elvish. Um, it is possible. Uh, whether in Sindarin or even possibly, uh, you know, in Quenya, uh, I would, for Thoughtless, we can't prove it, right? We don't know. He doesn't say what tongue it was written in. But I would, um, I would actually speculate that it was Adonaiic. If I had to put money on something, I would say Adonaiic. And the reason I would say Adonaiic is that I don't think he's making, um, he's intending this to be a public record. Uh, I think that this is, um, he, d- I, yeah, now he's not writing in code flammifer, but he's writing personally. Um, he does say he's writing for posterity, but again, I don't think that he was intending this to be a general public record. Um, uh, it's not about writing in code. Adonaiic would have been like English, right? Um, I mean, take a medieval, like a medieval Englishman of the 14th century, right? Somebody in Chaucer's era. Right, English is his native language. French, uh, any educated person would be fluent in French, uh, and any literate person would be fluent in Latin. Um, so, like, you know, he could choose from any one of those languages. Which one would he choose? Right, and the question is, what it, what it means. Like, the, the, I mean, and again, this is one of the I mentioned Chaucer. This is one of the reasons why Chaucer's decision to write his poetry in English was a big deal. Right, uh, because it meant something different. Uh, it meant something different that he was um, uh, that he was writing in English instead of writing. He could have written in French. He could have written in in Latin, um, but instead he wrote in English. Um, and for that reason, I think he's writing in Adonaiic. Isildur, not Chaucer. I think he's writing in Adonaiac, um because he's, uh, um, yeah, it, it does not. It does not read like a, like a, his, he says that it's for posterity. Um, uh, but yeah, I know, Tess, I'm glad to clear up the confusion. I, I know that many of you assumed I was talking about Chaucer writing in Adonaic. Um, uh, yeah, now, anyway, so I, 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 I believe it was in Adonaic. Well, we'll come back to that in the next slide. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, there's no Adonaiic copy of the Canterbury Tales that exists. Uh, yeah, though uh, that sounds like the kind of project that Tolkien would have really enjoyed. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that sounds like a challenge. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yes, praise. That's exactly the kind of thing that I was thinking. He's writing more like a memoir for his children, not a record for the annals. It does not have the tone of a public declaration. It doesn't have the tone of like something that was meant to be carved somewhere or, or uh, you know, or, or, you know, reviewed by lore masters at uh, annual conventions. It doesn't, it doesn't sound that way to me. It sounds like something he might've written uh, in, uh, in Adonaiac. Um, but anyway, um, 
Flamifer and a couple others had been saying, like, but why doesn't, like, wouldn't Denethor know Adonaiac? First of all, why would you assume that? Why would you assume that? Um, I don't necessarily assume that. Um, it's easy to lose languages. They'd lost Greek in the Middle Ages um, until, the, uh, uh, un- until the Muslims taught it back to them, right? Um, they didn't know Greek, even though they had records of only a couple hundred years ago of people of, who did know Greek and were translating from, Latin, from Greek to Latin. Um, they'd lost it. They lost it in a couple hundred years. Um, in English... In the early 1700s, late 1600s, a hundred years, well, by, by 300 years after Chaucer wrote, the language had changed such that they couldn't read his poetry anymore. Or rather, they could read it, but they thought it sucked. Um, because the, the pronunciation shift, you know, the great vowel shift had happened, and they didn't know that. So they were trying to read Chaucer in modern pronunciation, their modern pronunciation, 18th century pronunciation, and they were like, this is embarrassing. Like, this guy can't scan a line to save his life, right? Uh, And yet here are all these writers whom we do respect talking about how awesome Chaucer was as a poet. So we're just going to kind of like not, you know, we'll kind of do lip service to it and be like, yeah, Chaucer, yeah, well of English undefiled, that was him. Right, um, and then it wasn't until the mid eighteen the mid eighteenth century that somebody made the linguistic had the linguistic theory and was like, oh, dude, wait a second, if you pronounce the e's, it actually works really well. So um, this like people losing touch with a historical language totally happens all the time and way faster uh, uh, than this. Um, but see, Flamifer, I don't, I don't agree. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily wrong, but I don't think, I don't think we can assume that at all. That Denethor knows Adonai because he has been cited as wise in the lore of Gondor, and much of the early lore must have been written in Adonai. Must it? No, not necessarily. Quenya is the language of lore. When they were writing books of lore, they almost certainly wrote them in Elvish, right? Adonai would have been the spoken language of the early Numenorians, which was changing, therefore, most rapidly, and which would have fewer written uh, 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 records left from them. And certainly more of those written records would have been ephemera as well. Again, that's why so many of these these languages get lost, uh, and especially things like we don't know how Chaucer pronounced disease anymore, right? That happens especially when the language was primarily spoken. Now, that was like post-printing press that that was lost, right? After the printing press. Uh, they they still lost track of that. So again, I th- you know, so the language has changed um, into uh, uh, into Westron, right? Which is just the current version of what Adunayak has become, and it has doubtless changed a good deal to and fro over the years. Um, so, uh, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I do um, I do think that uh, it's. Again, I'm not saying it's impossible. Like, do I think it's impossible that Denethor knows Adonai? No, but I would not assume it. I would not at all assume it, especially since, remember, Bormir doesn't like to be reminded of this, but lore has been waning in Gondor, right? And again, to me, the parallel there, that's why I brought up 
Greek in the Middle Ages, right? Folks were really intelligent in the Middle Ages. There were some bright, bright people in the Middle Ages, but they'd still lost Greek. They didn't know it, right? Um, they didn't have anyone to teach it to them. Uh, and therefore, hundreds of years went by in which brilliant lore masters and scholars lived who didn't know how to read Greek um, and therefore had only to rely upon the Latin translations of Greek stuff. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, that's, uh, uh, yeah, um. So, yeah, so that, this is why I don't think it's at all a guarantee uh, that even if it were written in Adunayak, it would be known. My point is simply, if Tolkien tells us this, like, and if Gandalf asserts this, I don't see any reason to disbelieve it. Um, I don't have any hard time believing that the combination of the two things, the script and the, uh, uh, and the tongue, um, would make this scroll... Very, very difficult, even for modern lore masters, to read. Um, yeah, my, Michael says, "Where's the Gondorian Rosetta Stone when you need it?" Right, exactly. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, it's um, uh, it's it's tricky. It's tricky. Um, yeah, JJ says, "How many how many people today can read cursive without aid?" Yeah. Yeah, hand a hand a, a passage of cursive to one of my kids, and 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 you'll see them struggle. I've seen it, right? Yeah, and not to mention, like, look at 18th century print, and people have a hard time reading it. Not 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 script, print, uh, because of things like long s's and stuff, right? It looks weird. It's hard to read. But then go back to manuscripts written in a language you know you know, perfectly well. Maybe you're good at Latin. Does that mean, how, but how's your paleography, right? Can you read the scripts? Um, it's, um, it's different, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, there lies in Minas Tirith still unread, I guess. Now, he's only, he does say he's only guessing, right? He's not 100% sure, that this has not been read. But he does have some circumstantial evidence that it's not been read since the kings failed, right? And that is the state of the state of lore in Gondor. They don't know that Isildur took the ring, which they would certainly know if they'd read this. Um, as Again, as Boromir himself has already attested, essentially. Um, For Isildur did not march away straight from the war in Mordor, as some have told the tale. Um... The thing that's one of the things that's interesting to me about Boromir's interruption here is that Boromir seems. Uh, Gandalf is clearly not addressing Boromir in that last sentence, I think. Um, I don't doubt that Gandalf is perfectly familiar uh, with the. Um, is perfectly familiar with the. Uh, um, uh, the Gondorian citizenship test, right? I'm sure he knows that they know in Gondor that Isildur didn't go away, right? But what Boromir might possibly be forgetting is that he's not the only person in the room, right? Uh, this is... Uh, there are many who have been... To, there might even be some of the elves in the room who don't know that Isildur... Maybe, in fact, especially the elves, uh, since the amount of time that Isildur stayed in the south 
is was doubtless a blink, right, uh, to the elves. Uh, so they didn't even notice that he wasn't there, right? Uh, I mean, you know, like he he essentially came north right away, right? I mean, yeah. Oh, what did he wait like a decade? Right. As I said, he came uh, north right away. Um, uh, but um, uh, but anyway, yeah. Oh, sorry, uh, Emma Thorne. Paleography is the, the the study of the study of scripts. Like, so it's it's basically. Uh, the study of reading manuscripts, uh, medieval and ancient manuscripts. Um, so you've, I mean, it's like you've got to, you have to learn the languages, but then there's there's a whole there's whole separate courses that you have to take because there's like standard um, uh, like abbreviations. I mean, when you're writing everything out, when you don't have a printing press, right? Uh, when you can't copy and paste, and you've got no no keyboard, um, you often use a lot of like shorthand things, essentially. Um, uh, when you're writing everything out by hand, so um, understanding how the scripts work, understanding the the, the patterns of these uh, these these shorthands and things, that's that's what uh, that's what paleography is the ability to read uh, to read manuscripts. Um, anyway, um, okay, so uh, <laughs> yeah, Lincoln says, "What does Lindier care what a particular sheep did before he came north?" Anyway. Exactly. So Gandalf had just been segueing to say, Isildur did not march away straight from the war in Mordor, as some have told the tale, right? And I, I'm suspecting that it's the elves that he's talking to, because, like, Bilbo and Frodo would probably not have heard the tale at all, right? So I doubt they're, you know, retelling scurrilous versions of what Isildur did after the, after the war in the Shire, right? Uh, so I think it's the elves in the room that he's primarily addressing here. Um, uh, but, um... Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think he, um, uh, but then Boromir immediately jumps on him here. Um, by the way, for my money, this passage is where, you know, we've been, we, I, I've I've been a little bit of a Boromir apologist here, uh, uh, at least off and on, uh, throughout this this discussion over, over the last few months. Um, and I think that when we look at it carefully, I think that Boromir comes across much better than he's often given credit for. I think that uh, people are often a little hasty to dismiss Boromir uh, when they uh, um, uh, when they read this passage, but uh, or this chapter, that is to say. But for my money, this is the passage where he comes across least well, honestly. I think this is uh, um, not Boromir at his best. I'm not saying I can't understand it. I'm not saying I would have necessarily done better uh, myself. I'm just saying uh, Boromir looks really just grumpy here um, and on his dignity and offended. Um, and I, his other interruptions, he's interrupted several times, right? He's definitely been the most frequent interrupter. Frodo's is, is second, but Boromir is first, uh, as far as interruptions are concerned. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Karina's is calling me out, uh, for saying he comes across least well and not at his best. Okay. So badly. Well, yes, but not that badly. Is what I'm trying to say, Karina, I'm not saying I think he looks horrible again. I would probably be much ruder than Boromir would was in his, uh, circumstance here. Um, but um uh but the the kind of 
Um, but oh yeah, no, I'm not comparing him to his moments on, on M on Hannah. I just mean in the council uh, praise. That's all I'm talking about there. Um, just in the council. Uh, this, I think, is Boromir's low watermark during the Council of Elrond, is my point. Um, and, uh, like, but, like, that, you know, him getting all, like, luxury as if he's correcting, you know, trying to find something to correct Gandalf about because he's still miffed about the, you know, the, I, this is the, it's the kind of thing that um, uh, I think is a little bit, um, uh, it's not a good look. Uh, Ambrosius Aureliana says, Boromir feels as if the general state of lore among the steward's house is being maligned. He wants to show that, yes, they do know things about Isildur. Yes, exactly. I agree. Um, that's why he gets all luxury here, right? Um, uh, at that time, he planted there the last sapling of the white tree in memory of his brother. Said almost as if he's presenting proof, right? He did, you know... He stayed in the South. I can prove that he stayed in the South, and I can prove how I know he stayed in the South, right? Um, but I get very, um, very defensive, right? Um, uh, but again, this strikes me as interesting. I agree with you, Ambrosius, that it does sound like he, um, uh, it does sound like he is coming to the defense of the state of Gondorian lore. But what he's not obviously coming to the defense of is his father. That is, <laughs> again, he's, you know, don't you talk about my dad that way is what he is not saying in anything like, even an indirect way, I would say. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, that's interesting. Matt does point out we might want to cut Boromir a little bit of slack um, in thinking of Boromir as a prince here, right? Uh, you know, he's used to being able to interrupt in a way that others might not. Uh, in this sense, it might be useful to parallel him with Pippin, who now and again tries to act high in the same way Boromir does. That, that's interesting. Um, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, possibly. I mean, that he would not... Uh, and also that he would have less of an idea than most of the other people sitting in the room, even Frodo, of, like, who Elrond is. I mean, he knows that Elrond is the wisest of lore masters, okay, so that's kind of a big deal. Um, but um, but he's Boromir, right? I mean, you know, he's uh, he is like the prince. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, Karina says, look, if, if Denethor was my dad, I probably wouldn't leap to his defense myself. It is possible that there is some element of um, acquiescence in, in Gandalf's accusations here. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Now, no question, Ambrosius, that book Denethor is better than movie Denethor. Movie Denethor is absurd. Um, and I use that word carefully. I, I do find book Denethor to be... Uh, a, a real weakness. I think that that was seriously overplayed, and I don't mean by the actor. I mean by the by the script. Um, uh, but um, but anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, still, nevertheless, um, uh, yeah, I agree. The beacons alone. Uh, no, it's that Denethor is 
it doesn't even make sense. I, I, I consider Denethor a fairly significant weakness uh, in the film of The Return of the King. Um, but... Um, uh, but I mean, there's, there's, there's. I'm not saying there's no bits that are that are that are at all interesting. But in general, I, I'm I'm not a fan at all. Um, yeah, yeah. Mike says, uh, re- remember that Boromir and Aragorn just had a moment a couple pages slash months ago, um, uh, and now Gandalf says since the time of the kings, right? Since the kings failed, uh, disparagingly. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yes, yeah, exactly. Um, it still seems to me the biggest trend, one of the main things we learn about Boromir so far, I think just from the council, from, you know, again, just book Boromir here, um, is if you really want to get Boromir's goat, um, insult Gondor. Right. Uh, make it sound like Gondor is slipping. Um, uh, emphasize how much Gondor has come down in the world. Uh, and then you'll get him to start really being indiscreet. Right. Because that seems to be what he really responds to here. Um, yeah. Yeah. Demi, I agree with you. I, I do think the actor who played Denethor did do a really good job with the lines he was given. Um yeah, that's why I, I don't I don't blame the actor there, but yeah. Um, anyway, uh, okay. Um, <laughs> Gondor is Boromir's real dad, <laughs> Karita. Yeah, in some sense. Um, uh, <laughs> so. <clears throat> Flamifer, you're you're re-asking the question that I was asking before, and I I didn't answer it, so there's no reason not to re-ask it. Um, Why is Gandalf antagonizing Boromir? Um, Or at the very least, not going out of his way to... I mean, I'm not sure that antagonizing Boromir is his goal, right? Like, he's setting out to do that. Uh, But he's certainly not going too far out of his way, it would seem, to not to, right? Um... Why? That's why. That's exactly why I keep asking the why question. Because I don't think it's just foolishness on Gandalf's part. You know, like uh, um, he's just being thick. Gandalf is right, or uh, um, being undiplomatic in a way that's really going to come back and bite him later on. Uh, I don't. I don't think so. Um, now, Lupilla, I, Lupilia, I agree that Gandalf says it as it is without sugarcoating. Yes. A distinct lack of sugar coating. I 100% agree, but he again, he's he doesn't have to. He could just, um, you know, follow the if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all policy here relatively easily, right? Um, long story short, found the scroll, right? Um, I, I um, but I so. Basically, I'm kind of suspecting that he's yet yeah, Omali is asking if he could be testing him. I wonder, could he be pushing him, Gandalf, pushing Boromir a little bit on purpose? Would there be 
a reason for that, you know? Um, as Matt points out, Boromir has a lot of good qualities, but is strangely provincial for such an urbane figure. That is very, he's got, totally has uh, tunnel vision as far as Gondor and Gondor alone is concerned, right? Um, he does need some perspective on the world and the true state of Gondor. Um, maybe, you know, and maybe this comes back um, to to your point, Lupilia, um, he could sugarcoat things. He could just remain tactfully silent, but instead he goes out of his way to say some non-sugarcoated things because it's important for Boromir to know, right? Um, okay, let's not do the whole Gondor can do no wrong thing, right? It totally can, and we need to make sure that, like, we're facing facts here. Um yeah, exactly. Fort Thoughtless is saying if Gandalf is testing Boromir, that just moves the goalposts to what end would he do so? Exactly. That's what I'm trying to think through, trying to work out. Um, if there is a... There seems to be an end in mind to Elrond's diplomacy earlier on, in his introduction of Aragorn especially, right? Um, you know, let's... Um, break the whole potential future king thing in a little bit gently and keep the focus um, on the uh, historical, you know, in a sense. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Mad Violinist is wondering if Gandalf could be testing the ground uh, sort of for Aragorn's sake, how is this going to be received by Gondorian nobility? Possibly, though he doesn't. It's it's not really about the kingship thing that he's kind of pushing here. Um, could it be now? Again, one thing that I keep in mind with Gandalf here, I'm pretty convinced that there are exactly two people who know almost exactly what's going to happen here, right? Who know that, I mean, Gandalf and Elrond, I think are the two people who know all or almost all of the things that are going to be revealed in the council, right? They're the ones planning the revelations. They know that destroying the ring is the only real option, right? But they, they're, they're, you know, and they know the only way to do that, right? So Gandalf knows a, you know, a trip to Mordor, possibly one way there and not come back again, uh, is the by far likeliest outcome of this council, right? Could he be doing the math and saying we're going to be returning into the general Gondor region? Um, what are the odds that we leave this valley not accompanied by Boromir, right? I mean, we didn't know this. And, I mean, he just showed up this morning. Right. So, you know, we were ha haven't been planning for this, but, um, um, you know, I, Gandalf, am planning to go along on this mission. Right. Uh, so, Boromir, you know, I've got to I've got to figure this out. Right. Um, 
JJ says, we know from the unexpected party that Gandalf has an odd way of selecting, testing, and introducing traveling companions. Yeah, yeah, he does. Um, uh, exactly. Lupilio, you were thinking exactly the same thing. Um, that if he, Gandalf is thinking is going to go to Mordor, Boromir's path is going to be at least similar. Um, absolutely, absolutely. So Boromir, they need to know, right? And Boromir needs to know, you know, Karita, this comes back to what you were saying just a second ago. Um, it's not guaranteed. He's not just trying to, you know, get his goat, Boromir's goat, right? He's not just trying to uh, elicit a particular reaction, right? Like, uh, you know, he's, he's just trying to rile him up and then laugh at him. Um, it does provide Boromir an opportunity. There are a number of opportunities Boromir has been provided uh, today to see how he would take things, right? Um, and he's responded well sometimes, less well in other places. Um, uh, yeah, but um, also, Matt, I can't help but remember um, your comment about Boromir's being a prince. And that's another thing that he might want to get over sooner rather than later. Right. Um, and this is where potentially pointed remarks about Denethor could come in particularly handy. Right. Yeah, I know who your dad is. Let me give you just a touch of a glimpse of what I think of your dad. Right. Uh, and how much awe I hold your dad in. Right. So um, and you're not Denethor. Right. Yeah, I know. You're the son of the Lord of Minas Tirith. And in your little world, and your world is pretty little, Boromir, isn't it? In your little world, you are the big cheese or the second biggest cheese in your entire world. Right. Welcome to the bigger world in which you're a minor character, actually. Right. Um, How do you handle that? Boromir, how does that make you? Tell me how that makes you feel. Right. Uh, In some sense, um, you know, I think that that's, uh, uh, I don't know if I'd call him the penultimate cheese, Sam, uh, but perhaps, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lupilia says the fellowship didn't come to beg any boon from Gondor. Yeah, true enough. True enough. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and yes, Rowan Bo- Boromir was in Minas Tirith when Ga- when Gandalf uh, found the scroll. Yeah, yeah. No, he would have been. Um, yeah. Wait, how old was Boromir then? This was a while back. When did Gandalf find the scroll? Hang on a second. I'm having a crisis. Gandalf's story, the modern part of Gandalf's story, begins with the party, Bilbo's party. Bilbo said, and you know, things were done and said by somebody. Don't ask me what they were or what happened about Bilbo not having you know, having a hard time giving up the ring. Um, uh, he said I then I opened my heart to Aragorn and the two of us set off to seek right so that was some time ago right that was that was that was 17 years ago now and they set off on the trail of Gollum 
they were um uh, they were um on the trail of Gollum for some time, right? Um Okay. So the appendix says, okay, so the reconstructed dates say 3017, he read it. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Um, sorry, I'm... In a sense, I'm playing the same game that Tolkien played a lot which was the reconciling of dates. He loved this game, and he was very careful about it. Um, But don't forget Tolkien's general approach to this kind of thing. When there were issues, Tolkien did not prefer to go back and change things to make it work. Instead, he preferred to make up a story about how it could possibly have come to be that way. (laughs) Right? Um... Um, so, okay. We're told in the beginning of chapter two, it must be during the nine-year gap, right? Must have been the time that, so, because he didn't mention, he didn't say anything, neither he nor Aragorn said how long it was that they were searching. Multiple years? Nine years? Is that what he was doing during that nine-year absence? When Frodo didn't see him for nine years? Right? If so, the account back at the beginning of chapter two about Frodo's seeing Gandalf and not seeing him and seeing him every once in a while doesn't really jive with what Gandalf is saying or what he was suggesting. Right? Do you see what I mean? Do you see what I mean? He, uh... um, we're told that he, we're told in the beginning of chapter two, that Frodo saw him occasionally, and then there was a nine-year period, and then at the end of the nine-year period, Gandalf shows up all of a sudden, and uh, Frodo had thought that he'd lost all interest in hobbits, right? Um, if this Gondorian research project happened at the very end of his search for Gollum. And the Gondorian research project came right before, and he leaves from Minas Tirith to go to Bag End and, and uh, chuck Frodo's ring into the fire, right? If that's the sequence, which would mean it would be in that nine-year gap, um, then he couldn't have left with Aragorn right away, as we were believing, right? He, like, I opened my heart to Aragorn seven years later, after... I got alarmed by Bilbo's departure. See what I mean? Um, I'm not saying I think it's necessary that he opened his heart to Aragorn in 3001, right? Um, Right after the party. Um, I'm saying it sounded like that when he told the story just now. Um... Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, Dolorstruck, you do have to remember how long it takes people to travel um, in the pre-modern world. Absolutely. And that is why 
very few people did or why it was a very big commi- commitment to do so. Um, and why it's so surprising to read in the Middle Ages about how often people went on pilgrimages to Jerusalem, for instance. Um, uh, it's a very big commitment of time to do that. Um, but uh, anyway, um, yeah, no, Rowan, I, I agree. Once he found the scroll, he returned to the Shire. That, that link seems clear, right? So um, anyway. I'm just saying it's not at all transparent to me what he did between if the nine year gap is the hunt for Gollum. Hey, seriously, nine years. They were hanging out, what, in Athelion for nine years um, looking for Gollum. And maybe it took them a couple of years to get there. Right. But um, uh, that's um, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. Um, I, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, the, but what he was, if that's true, even if that's true, that he was spending nine years doing that, what he did for the first seven years is, um, not clear. Exactly. Um, anyway, sorry, just speculating. Okay. Okay, <laughs> maybe two slides was a little ambitious today. All right. Um, should we read it? <laughs> okay, let's read it. The great ring shall shall go now to be an heirloom of the North Kingdom, but records of it shall be left in Gondor, where also dwell the heirs of Elendil, lest a time come when the memory of these great matters shall grow dim. Okay, let's let's stop there. Let's just talk about that bit, and then we'll be done. Yeah, I know, Ambrosius, this is a slippery slope, right? Okay. Um, First of all, Here's another reason why I suspect that this was, uh, um, why this was written in Adonaiic. Um, he says, records of it shall be left in Gondor, lest a time come when the... Ma-. He doesn't say that this thing that he's writing is one of them. This is not necessary. He, he doesn't say like, and thus have I written out this decree so that... Or not decree, but thus have I written out this record, uh, lest a time come when the ma- he says records of it shall be left. Records plural shall be left, right? I'm gonna leave records that I'm gonna speak of in the you know in the third person, right? Um, this sounds like a diary entry that he wrote describing his intention that records should be left in Gondor, right? Um, uh, so I, this, I, I don't think that this proves that this thing that Gandalf was reading was, the re- was a record that he meant to leave as a public record. I think it is a record of his intention. It's, again, it's a diary entry of his intention to leave those records. Angrist says, wait, other records? Where are they? Good question. My suspicion 
I don't think he wrote them. I don't think he did it. I think that Isildur intended that records should be left in Gondor, lest a time come when the memory of these great matters shall grow dim. But I don't think he did it. I think that's why this lore was forgotten in Gondor. Otherwise, it would be on the Gondorian citizenship test, just like the question about Mineldil's instruction, right? Um, exactly, exactly, Dracon Tarachne. I think that this is evidence that Isildur never got around to acting on that intention. So Lord Byron, absolutely correct. I take this as evidence of the ring's influence on him. He meant to. He saw that it was a good idea that records, plural, should be left. But he didn't do it. They weren't left. And not because he was prevented. He could have done. Easily could have done. Now it's possible that he did, and they got lost. Things do get lost in 3,000 years. Goodness knows. Right? But, but, I think it's also very likely that the ring itself prevented him. Keeping it to yourself, not drawing other people's attention to it, um, seems like a very... to fit the pattern that we have seen from the ring, right? Um, what's more... Hang on, I lost my train of thought. I was going to say something else. What's more? Uh, it's consistent with other ring suggestions. Hmm. Never mind. Don't remember. Oh, well, I lost it. Um something about where also dwell the heirs of Elendil. Yes, that's it. Where also dwell the heirs of Elendil. If he left a record saying, this shall go to be an heirloom of the North Kingdom, but records of it shall be left in Gondor, where also dwell the heirs of Elendil, who might therefore lay claim to it, right? He's talking about the, the ring like it's should be a public thing, right? Not just publicly known, as it would be if he left records for the heirs of Elendil, but also like it's... Um, I think I saw somebody earlier on comparing, talking about the crown jewels. Um, that's kind of how he's talking about it here, right? Um Yeah, yeah. Um, now, good. Wolfhound says that as a descendant of the Numenorians, he would appreciate the need to preserve knowledge from olden days as compared to your average schlub. He sure would. Um, uh, he would be keenly aware of, uh, you know, what can happen. You never know. You never know when your city is going to sink beneath the ocean, right? It happens. So, yeah, you got to be careful about, uh, um, about uh, record preservation, um, yeah, Fort Thoughtless says, uh, it sounds like the ring was, the loss of the ring was pretty providential. Can you imagine the North and South Kingdoms in wars over ownership of the ring? Oh, yes, I can. 
imagine that. Um, yeah, <laughs> Mike thinks he totally left the records in an envelope on the mantle on the way out. I doubt he did, Mike, but I bet if Gandalf had come in at that moment and asked him, where are the records of the ring that you're going to leave in Gondor, he would have told him that it was on the mantelpiece, right? Um, only to discover that it was actually in his pocket, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. Um, is, uh, uh, Matt is asking, what do we make of Isildur calling it the Great Ring rather than the One Ring or something else? Um, I think... Um, it makes sense that he calls it the Great Ring. It tells me that he, Isildur, primarily think, and presumably, therefore, that I don't necessarily take as a ring influence thing. Um, that seems to me a cultural thing. That is, if you, um, if you grew up in, you know, Middle-earth at that time, at the end of the Second Age, right, um, you would primarily associate Sauron's ring of power not with its singularity but with its power right it is the ring to rule them all that's what's yes there's only one of them but that's not the most important thing about it the most important thing is that it is the great ring um there are the lesser rings there are the great rings and then there's the great ring right that can uh rule all of uh the others um uh Fort Dauntless says they still call this category of objects great rings. Yes, the wise now does. But did they in the Second Age? See, I think that's one of the things that would... The, so, some of the vocabulary that would likely change. Um, to Third Age scholars, the chief importance is the difference between the lesser rings and the great rings. Why? Because what Third Age scholars are primarily interested in is leftover great ring, leftover rings that might turn up places like troll caves or uh, random tunnels or dragon hordes, right? Um, so the um, the interest of the practicing scholar uh, of the Third Age, the interest in the rings, would be to categorize them. You know, so there were the great rings, which are perilous for mortals, and then there are the lesser rings, which are probably still not a good idea, but you know. Uh, downgraded in the peril department, right? Um, so, uh, that the, so for them to use the term "great ring" categorically in that way makes sense, and it fits their uh, context, right? Not so Isildur in the in the Second Age. In the Second Age, there would be two primary categories of rings. There would be the rings that the good guys have, and there would be the great ring that Sauron has, right? That's what really matters most, I would say. Um, uh, so, yeah, yeah, I would say that it's, um, it's important, but I don't, again, I don't think it's ring influence. I think it, it shows that this is how he, presumably his dad, Gilgalad, all of them, would have spoken of the great ring. You know, of Sauron's ring. Sauron's ring is the great ring, the ring that dominates the rest of them. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> I see. Ambrosius Aurelianus was suggesting that the actual records that Isildur left behind were behind a paywall, uh, and Gandalf uh, uh, did not uh, subscribe, so that makes good sense. Um, 
Uh, Dolorstroke asked, did they know that Sauron's ring dominated the elven rings at that point? Yes, they definitely did. They knew that through Celebrimbor. Um, absolutely, they knew that. Um, I mean, remember, there are wielders of elven rings who would, who would know that full well. What, the, what Sauron's ring, the great ring, was for. Uh, and remember, they're closer to the forging of the rings. Um, w- knowing, right, that the forging of all the rings, even those which are called by Third Age scholars great rings, right, like dwarf rings and elf rings, um, there's the whole Ring of Power project, and then there's the great ring that Sauron was planning to spring on them all along, right, uh, in order to spring the trap that he was laying for them by the whole Ring of Power thing in the first place. Um, so again, they, they were closer to that. Uh, and so, again, them all of them calling it the Great Ring would make a lot of sense to me. Um, whereas again, once we're categorizing, right, so we've got Great Rings and we've got Lesser Rings. And of course, you can distinguish the Great Rings by their number, right? We had, uh, you know, the three and the seven and the nine and the one, right? And so in, in we now, we three age, third age scholars call it the One Ring. Um, but that, I think, would not indicate its importance sufficiently um, to Isildur. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, but no, they wouldn't have known the negative effects. No one would have had any idea of the effects of anybody wielding the One Ring, or carrying the One Ring, or laying claim to the One Ring. Because no one's ever had it other than Sauron. Um, so, yeah, no question, they would not have known the effects on a, mo- on a mortal wielder of the Great Ring. Definitely. Definitely. Um, The last observation I'll make, and then we'll do our field trip. Last observation on Isildur's opening there. Um, There's a word missing, right? In that first paragraph. Not missing in the sense that there's like a syntactic gap or something like that, but there's a word he doesn't use in that first paragraph that I find kind of interesting. Um, especially interesting because he uses it a lot in the rest of the paragraph, right? The the next paragraph. Um, And it's I. Yeah, Forthalus is guessing at the same time exactly. I, he doesn't... He speaks in the third person all the way through. The Great Ring shall go now to be an heirloom of the North Kingdom. He's not saying the Great Ring is mine, my own. He's not saying that. The Great Ring, but the Great Ring shall go now to be an heirloom of the North Kingdom, but records of it shall be left, passive voice, in Gondor, where also dwell the heirs of Elendil, lest a time come when the memory of these great matters shall grow dim. Um, uh, I'm not sure what to make of it. Um, is he... He is laying claim to it. The whole heirloom of the North Kingdom thing is him laying claim to it, but he's being indirect. Right? Um, 
we could potentially see this as an argument against the ring having much influence on him, but I think we'll see fairly obvious evidence that it is, right? Uh, he's going to drop the P word in the next paragraph, so I think it's pretty clear that, the, and that's not the P word, by the way, uh, that uh, that the ring is influencing him, right? Um, so I don't think we can see it as counter-evidence. I mean, maybe we could say it's evidence that he's not too far gone, right? Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, interesting. Matt says the first part reads like the official passage and the second part reads like the commentary. Yeah, almost. Almost. Um, I mean, it's... Um, or like a preamble and then the primary text, right? Um, yeah, I think... In the end, that's how I would interpret it. I would interpret his not using I, not using the first person, and his using the passive voice. Not as an attempt to hide anything, but as a as a kind of formality, right? Um, I am... Here's what's going to happen, and then I'm going to do it. Right? Anyway, okay. Um, but I'm not going to get drawn in too much further. We'll come back to this, and we'll talk about the rest of this passage next time. Um, good thing this isn't one of those times, like I said, that will be coming up soon where uh, uh, where I'm going to have to miss class because that would be a cliffhanger. But um, anyway, okay. Um, let's... Um... Oh, wait, sorry. One last comment that I don't want to lose. Autoflagellator on Twitch was saying that uh, um, the shift from the Great Ring to the One Ring is actually... It's, it's almost like the way that the Great War became World War I. Um, yeah, that is actually a really interesting comparison. Again, it's because the Second World War came along, right? And so it became no longer the Great War because a greater war came soon. But um, um, but still, I, I, it does have that sense, right? Um, uh, it's not for the same reasons, but it is. Uh, but it is. Uh, it is interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, okay. Uh, with that, I'm going to end my book discussion tonight and we'll go on to the field trip. Thank you everybody for joining me. I'm going to say goodnight to the folks on Twitter and in the town and we're going to switch over to Twitch only. Well, and Discord also, of course. Um, uh, but if you wanted to join us for the field trip on twitch.tv slash SignumU, you would be welcome to do so as we're going to be uh, exploring, continuing our explorations of Angmar. So... Uh, awesome. So thanks, Twitter people. See you guys next time. All right. Good evening, sir. Good evening. Here, let me put my earpiece in here. All right. All right, so uh, got fourth again. All right. Let me expand here. Okay, off to Angmar. All right. Uh, let's meet at Gath fourth near again. All right.
Yeah, we're getting into the like the lore within the lore. So. Yes. Yeah. Really fun stuff. All right. Let me put up the beacon. There we go. Yeah, multiple beacons. Yep, just for fun. Multiple and to get them out of my inventory. Colors. That's pretty good, yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. In the Signum University, red and gold. That's good. All right. That was totally intentional. <laughs> <laughs> and not because they were listed in chromatic order in my inventory. <laughs> Excellent. All right. That's right. The beacons are lit. Narnian calls for A. That's, That's right. It. That's it. <laughs> okay. Are we ready? I need to... I know that it's always dark in Angmar, but I feel like, you know, it's always dark, but it's not always night. Like, why is it always the middle of the night when we're doing our field trips? We haven't had a daytime. And it's midnight, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's close. uh, We always start the field trip in between, like, quarter to 12 to 12.15. And within that time period, it's mostly dark. Yeah. This is advanced darkness, though. Ah, uh, well. I guess we'd have to change the schedule to... Yeah. I guess I didn't really ever put together that it was the same time of day in Lotro, like, every day at the same time. Like, I I, know, I knew it cycled around, but I didn't realize that the cycle, in that sense, matched the real-world cycle. No, I think it's... Uh, uh, 12 hours is one hour, and then the other 12 hours is one hour. It's not like Animal Crossing that's in real time or something. Right, no, 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 I know it's not in real time, but I mean... Um, uh, oh, the fact that we keep coming back at the same time, it will be at the same time. Yes, yeah. Yeah, a different at least on Tuesdays. And everything. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if it alternates at all, but uh, I, I don't think so if it's even even an hour, hour of numbers or something. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe it doesn't, but it just, if, if not, then it seems like an awful coincidence that we always seem to be. Why can't we get a nice sunny day in Angmar? Is that too much to ask? <laughs> right. They have lots of those in Angmar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're in the wrong season. This isn't the beach season for Angmar. Right, exactly. JJ says now he wants Animal Crossing Angmar edition. <laughs> <laughs> Come on over. I got a got the Witch King of Angmar in my. It's, it's his birthday. Did you bring a present? I'm bringing <laughs> fruit wrapped in brown paper. Actually, it was Roscoe's birthday today at Animal Crossing. Don't ask me why I know that. Okay. It's because it's the one thing I can control in my life. There you go. Well, I was. Uh, I've. I have not played Animal Crossing, so. Don't. Uh, it's addictive. You never get anything done. <laughs> I, know, I know of it, but I have not played it. 
It's kind of it's kind of zen. It's like your little zen garden. Right. Yeah, okay. it really is. Tantric boredom. Ah, okay. Oh, it lightened up. That's better than yeah, when it darkened last week at this point. That, we were under the umbrella of Karn Doom, I believe, under there. Okay. Still I think dark, that's what it was. but... Yeah, we're still getting that advanced darkness pretty far ahead. Yeah. I think it'll lighten up a bit when we get to the Sulfur Lakes, which is kind of where we're heading. I think you're heading back towards the... Vague direction, yeah. So uh, yeah. we kind of finished Barad Gularon last time in as much as we could. So I wanted to head back towards that southeastern portion. So if we're, we're yes. headed due south from here down to Gorothlad, basically. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's that probably white hand banner. Yep. Oh, yeah, wait. that's the one for the, to, the, I mean, to, yeah, we're back. Yeah, we we're went back, back to, yeah, okay, right, so I totally failed to not go here. Okay, <laughs> we just followed the road back, that's cool. Yeah, I think I guess we'll just follow the road back. I was not following the road that, yeah, I could go straight south from here, except, uh, can you yeah, go straight could, south from here? We could loop it around, we could loop it around, maybe. Yeah. I am not confident in my ability to go south from here. Uh, That's all right. I'm just going to... Yeah, shortcuts make long delays. That is certainly my experience in the greater Barad-Gularon region. No there are... Yeah, there's a lot of cliffs to make long delays out here. Yeah. So let's 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 cut through uh, Imlad Balhorth instead. Okay. At least that was my original plan, and then I made a wrong turn. So... <laughs> I'm one of those people where it's like, I can go places where I can look at the map, can't do both at the same time. Yeah. You ever wonder how we got around places before GPS, honestly? Right. Oh, yeah, this was my problem, is I went down... I, I was looking for the right-hand turn after this point, and clearly it's well yep. before this point. Well, the problem is there's a lot of roads that don't look like roads, and there's a lot of non-roads that do look like roads. Yes. Just because of all the naked patches of ground. Okay, that's the road I was looking for. Yeah, that's a big old arch. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, we went, we're went. we getting closer to Carndoon, so we got that big force right. field over us again. We got back into the, yeah, the green light. The blight. The, yeah. the desolation. Oh, wow. Well. Okay, and now we're down into the... The... Uh, like grayish blue glow of the dead down here. Yep. And getting memories of the Barrow Downs at night here. Or Farnost. Yeah. Oh, we got some Angmar guys back. Alright, those are the messengers, right? That's right, yep. Okay. All right, this is just where I wanted to go. And so then after we join the other road again, we mm-hmm. then we leave it and strike out for the south. South. The south. Okay, got it. That's the plan. Okay. So here... Right. Yeah. All right, 
Let's cross for the, the bridge. bridge of death. Yeah. A nice view of the land of the dead. Actually, it's obscured by trees. Okay. It's great when you can't see all the dead stuff. Yeah. That's that's the photo they use in the realty listing. Right. Okay, now here's where I want to cut south. Yeah, oh yeah, here we go. Down into Melonhead. Okay. Oh, look at all these big salt deposits everywhere. Yeah, which, you know, certainly would seem to support our theory that this was a that this was a, a sea, but like an inland sea before. Mm-hmm. Right. Or a natural salt lake. Right. Okay. Ah. Just got boiled up and dried out. And we immediately discover a wagon. Yep. What is wrong with that wagon? It's what's huge. A, yeah, but what's with the dents on the side? Oh, yeah. That's not. That's a thing. I think whatever is in there did not want to be in there. And there's another one over here. They don't seem to be on the inside, but, you know, that might be a rendering <laughs> issue. Oh, look, and there's some bumps on the top, too. Yeah, I think this was used to transport something violent. Like a metal bender. Yeah. Sorry, I've been watching Avatar, your last airbender again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say it's one of those big ogre trolley looking things. Yeah, presumably so. That are always called troll. something that's not ogre or troll. Tro troll transports, yeah. Yep. Gotta be. Troll Uber. Okay, now this banner. Oh, yep, yep, yep. Seen this guy. We have. Um, the color is if not really a blood red, more of a fiery red color. But it's mm -hmm. dripping like blood. It's just the crown-eye combination thing. No mm -hmm. hand here, right? Mm -hmm. um, you could see it was probably once white, and now it's just The really banner nasty. itself, yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, crown ghouls on field dingy, basically, is what we get here. <laughs> kind of dingy, grimy. Yeah. <laughs> Le grime. And uh, the, we see the wolves on the supports on the side, like we've seen throughout the Shire and all the other encampments. Yeah. And, and all the other a bunch of those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this looks like an orc goblin camp, definitely. Yep. I gotta say, the wolves are better defined on this one. Yeah. Okay, we get a bunch of trolls here. That trolls might have been what was in the wagon. Yeah. How interesting that they would need to transport them by wagon. And this is a siege tower? Yeah, they, these are the ones they were setting up uh, near, near the... Near, uh... Oh, uh... What oh, you yeah, call? down in the south down there, right? Yeah, 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 from the passage from Esteldon to Angmar. Yeah. Okay. Was that troll called a lasher? Yes. Uh, oh, this guy's a thrasher. thrasher. Are there other? Jan, Jan Olog Thrasher. Okay, the thrasher. Who is it? Yarn? I guess they could thrash enemies. Thrash and thrash. Yeah. Yeah, it's like these guys are big, but they don't look like the size of something that would bend the metal box we saw. Yeah. 
I think that's more like the giant beasties that we saw, like, you know, coming out of Karndoom. Right, maybe. Okay, lots of siege equipment, but look over here. Monoliths with a table on top. Oh, una mesa. Look at that. Yeah, that is, uh, the giant's table. Who made that, that looks like some of the giant stuff that we, we've seen in, um, in Misty Mountains. Like in the Misty Mountains, The, the yeah. giant settlements, yeah. Yeah. So were there giants then living here? That's a new know. angle that we've not seen anywhere in Angmar before. No, we haven't. Some sort of crashed wagon yeah, over see, there. See, look, and here's, here's, here's more. This whole gateway thing. Yeah, it looks so much like the stone tables we see in Misty Mountains and later on in Energy. Yeah. Is it in the This... So... Would this have been... What? Whoa. A little... Like this whole... Would this have been like a little giant's house? Maybe. Maybe they're shoring up supports, but it, it's freestanding. Yeah. It's, it is freestanding. And, uh, Looks would, like they're trying to transport stuff on top, but it's not connected to anything. Would the giants that we see in the Misty Mountains fit through here? Yeah, they sort of huddled in them like it was uh, like shelter like a, or a windbreak. Yeah, maybe he thought or it was they... a, a very cunning entry, you know, that made it very small and secret. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was uh, like a... Oh, what's the word? Just... Uh... Most of them were up against the. Uh, most of them were up against the cliff face, though. A lot of the only freestanding ones were the ones that had pathways above them between two rocks. Yeah. yeah. Like. Hmm. Look at all these crashed wagons everywhere. Oh no! That. Uh, yeah. No, it's got a rock on it. That's a crashed wagon. <laughs> and another one over here. Yep. But we're only seeing these table things. Oh, this. Yeah. No evidence of anything else. No. Any other structures or... Unless I'm just missing it. I don't know. This water is so gross looking. Yes. Yes, it is. Okay, hang on. What's over here? Is this... This is the other entrance, right? Yes. So we see another... <laughs> goblin entrance. Guys asleep on watch duty. Who the orcs were? Oh, we got a, I've got a Rurik down there. Nobody, nobody kill this guy. He's kind of cool. This little chieftain sitting out here. Right. And that starts that that quest where you have to get all the swords of the chieftains. Is he one of the good guys? One of the Trevgalorg? Uh, no, because you can target on him. I think nah. the idea is, is you kill all the bad guys and take all their, like, ancient swords and then you bring it to this place right. uh, east of here. But, yeah. he's, but he's one of the trade... So he's one of the, the trade Duverdine, then? I don't know. It just says Lurike on it. I mean, he's got the hat. Yeah, he does. He's got the hat. And, you know, with the, like what we have been calling the orange slices, you can see them spread out over his hat with the, you know, 
If you looked at his hat and profile, it would look like one of those dangly yeah. orange slices. Or it looked like not a Roman helmet. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Intriguing. I so wonder this guy's if an uh, enemy we kill him, we get more info. Do I don't normally, have that quest. Do you normally, uh, I mean, does he aggro on you? Uh. Yes. Well, yeah. I'm going yes. with yes. Okay. The answer is yes. And he okay. Throws, okay, I thought he was throwing sticks, not uh, throwing axes. All right. Okay. That's good. And the cloak was made of fur. Okay. Yeah. Um, interesting. Okay. So there's just random Trave Duverdine running around. With like the equivalent of the Seven Swords of Whalen or something. Right. continue up in this way because yeah I did okay. see more giantish construction up here I'm looking for something other than tables Trolls. yeah oh these are all just cave claws oh this is the wilds out here and here's another one Owen what are they comparing the trade Duverdine to the Welsh huh yeah, that's 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 a pretty Welsh name right there. That's a very distinctive name, yeah. Um, I think if the only if, like if you'd spelled it with an A and an I is the only way it would be more Welsh. Right. Bowen. Okay. So, yeah, now I'm wondering what the other ones are named and if they have Welsh names. <laughs> what was the first one? No, it was. So, okay, Rurich. Rudaich, yeah, it did not. Hmm. It doesn't quite sound like a Welsh name. Nope. Especially since the the elves oh. are supposed to be the ones of the Welsh culture. I don't know. Yeah. Eh. Sorry, I'm looking around for any evidence of any other Whoa. any other megaliths or giantish constructions. There's a something. What down here in the in the in the? No, this big glowing red thing here. Glowing oh, red. that's another statue. That's another statue. That's what it is. Almost Wait, due east. I, oh, 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 that one over there? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, it looked like the whole building was lit up. I'm back here. And where are we? This is... Okay, we've gone around there. Right. Whoa! Big AOE. Back up, guys, back up. Okay, we've got another one of the statues, another one of the old Angmarim fortifications... So this uh -huh. is the, wow, boy, lots of dread here. Um, lots of elite. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, what is this, the rift? No, we're not at the rift. No, this is not the Just rift. Just a method, where it may have, whoop, backing up, getting the eye. Yeah, this is the, I remember this, this is like the fellowship area in here. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen this. I never had anyone go with me. I remember stumbling into this before, but I want to go back around. I want to go back around to. Yeah, um, yeah. First of all, where I can see, and second of all, where was that little campsite that I was just going to? It was somewhere near this what? morgue. There he is. Oh. Not a campsite. Uh, orc camp. Oh, uh, orc camp. They're, well, they're excited. Yeah, well, now we're back to stick and skin construction. Yeah, exactly. 
And that, oh, and that's just a wood pile. Okay. That's actually sensible for these guys. Although these look like post holes for building more structures. Yeah, yeah more and more piled up over here. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I wanted to look around these wilds to see if there was anything here. So where am I now? Right, I'm down in the south now. Okay. No, there's a pretty big cliff coming up. I wanted to see if there is any more evidence of giants. That's what I'm looking for. Mm. Any more megaliths? Any more? Aha, uh-huh, there's the valley. Uh, yep, yeah, there's the valley. That's one of them. <laughs> there's a couple. Yeah. One of them has an old structure in it, though. Look, see, they got the big piles of wood down there, too. Okay. Yeah, see, I'm and another at... chieftain. Whose name is Huistan? Huistan? Huistan. Huistan. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Nope. No evidence. I was hoping up at the top of the hill there would mm. be like a standing stone, maybe, or a. No, not seeing anything. No. Hmm. Oh, big cliff. That's what's over there. Yeah. I thought there were some ruins out here. Oh, there it is. See that tower right? See Wait. where I'm pointing? There's a there's a brick tower through the through the trees. There's a brick tower through the trees? Yeah. Is that where the I seem to have the secret of the swords quest. So my quest arrow seems to be pointing in that direction. Oh, serendipity. Oh, I think I'm about to fall. Nope. Uh, maybe. Sliding down the hill? Okay. <laughs> um, I'm going to follow you then since you got that arrow. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. And I broke so many ankles out here first time I was out here. Yeah, so this is all... Yeah. Okay. So here's the entrance to the valley. The non-angle breaking version. Mm -hmm. This. Oh, you're gorgeous. Oh my goodness. Look at that. No Uh wonder it looks so different. It's a Dunedain structure. Yep. The only one of its kind we have found anywhere in Angmar. Uh-huh. I mean, there's the seven stars and the scepter of Anuminus. Yep. Just as bold as you please. Wait, have we seen these guys intact before? With the orb and the sword? I feel like we've only seen them, like, busted up. So we have these, like, you know, foot lockers, right, at their feet. Mm-hmm. That's um, where you put the swords. Right. With See, the little sword holder. Yeah. With the Numenorean sigils there. Uh-huh. These guys are not in great shape, though. No. Oh, this one's got some scorch marks on it. Yeah. Have their faces been um, effaced? 
Uh, looks like it's just weathered. Yeah. Like these guys have been here for a long time. Let's let's face it, they have been probably. Yeah. Pretty sure I never completed this quest. Have, do you have to, uh, uh, any dialogue with Nethral over here? Oh yeah. How can I be of service? Sure do. What's he say? He's a ranger, right? I think so. He's he dressed like a ranger. Rangery. Alright, might as well see what he has to say. Well met! I have tarried here long, seeking to unravel a mystery from times past. Perhaps you can help me. Well, we, you know, that's kind of what we do. That's our thing. Yeah, Banfuir at least believes you to have some skill else he would not have sent you. Okay, I don't remember who he was, but that's okay. Look <laughs> oh, up. right, him. <laughs> no, naturally, right. Yeah, we're, we're, we're close, we're close. Um, okay, look upon the seven statues behind me. Doubtless you note that they are each missing the sword which they once held. Ah. Okay, now they're each holding a sword, but there's a place on their footlockers where there could be swords, so... Yes. This place is one of ancient evil. Fascinating. Ha. Something I have long studied, and I know too well the scars that have been left in its wake. Huh. This loathsome ha. place, it really doesn't look loathsome. It doesn't I mean, feel loathsome either. This I mean, is like the... at the bottom of the loathsome, you know, like if I made a list of places in Angmar <laughs> and I ranked them in terms of their loathsomeness, this would be really pretty close to yeah, the bottom but... of my list. But he's a ranger. He doesn't like seeing this stuff in bad places. I guess not. Maybe is what is this black Numenorean stuff then? Right. Maybe where the doom of the North Kingdom was wrought. But I will speak. What? Maybe where the doom what? of the North Kingdoms was wrought. Howchies. Huh. Say more words now. Huh. So, Matt says the swords are all of leaders corrupted by the Witch King. Oh, cool. Okay. I like that. Yeah. So, the doom was it, wrought here, not in the sense that it fell here, like Fornos was, was really where, the, you know, where it happened, yeah. but... Um, so, was there black magic here, or is it just like a reminder of bad things? I, you know... I don't know, there's but no, like I like, say, it's... And there's it's, no atmospheric ickiness. There's, it's not like so. most places in Angmar where you feel bad here. Right. Hmm, it didn't give me any further quest. I guess I'd get the quest if I like go back to Owen and kill him. Then it gives me the quest or something? Yeah, because you got to start collecting the swords. Right. I might have to do that now. Yeah, do that. Do it. Then we get to go through the doors and figure out what's in the doors. Right. Now, I was, um, um, let's see, JJ was pointing out the round tower. I was looking at that, too. The stone on that round tower at the center does not look the same. Um, no. I mean, having the round tower inside the square tower is a little bit odd to begin with. But, yeah, it's, that is. Looks like it know, was bricked up too. Like the windows up there. Edith was urging me to look in my uh, bag to see, make sure I didn't get a quest item or something. But I did not. <laughs> yeah. 
um, huh, huh. Yeah, no, I think I'm gonna have to do the sword quest now. <laughs> Lexicon, I'm way too curious about this now, especially since uh, Grifflet kind of whipped through Angmar, so. Yeah. Grifflet's uh, past Angmar and not coming back, so. This is gonna be my only opportunity. So, what do you have to. You just have to go around and kill the. Collect. Kill the. Kill the chieftains kill holding the, chieftains? the sword. They're okay. all around the sulfur pits. Some right. of them uh, closer, some of them in the wild, some of them near the, in the camps with the, the well, enemies. All what. the enemies camps around yeah. the sulfur pits. I'll tell you what, next week, and mm-hmm. next week we'll fellow up. Because if you're fellowed cool. up and somebody kills them, then you get credit for it, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So next week we'll we'll make a big old fellowship and, and, and we'll go hunting for the seven dudes. Uh, so that we can try to find the seven swords from the seven dudes. Um, the dude swords. Yeah. And uh, and then we'll see what happens. Can, do we get to go All inside right. the tower? I think so. Yeah, there's like a, a, yeah. a dread, dread thing, dreadfulness. Well, that, maybe that I can find fight. out what's so very loathsome about this place because I'm telling you, this looks nice. Yeah. Wouldn't want to build a summer home here. I don't know. I kind of, I mean, again, compared to other places in Angmar, like this would be really high on my summer home list, you know? Yeah. I mean, also, like, there's hardly any beasties around here either. It's exactly. Like... It's quiet. It's sheltered. It's out of the wind. You know, it's like uh, not got any of the unquiet dream. dead. Yeah. Okay. No dread hanging over it. No dread. I mean, we still got the we still got the bubble. Uh, we're still under the bubble on this one, but yeah, yeah, sure. The sky doesn't look great, but okay. All right, so um, we'll next time. Next time we'll get the swords. That'll also help us to ex- finish exploring around and seeing if we see any other evidence of giants, which I'll also be keeping an eye out for. Um, we'll, we'll get to look at all the enemy camps stationed around the sulfur pits. Yes. Yes. Okay. Good. JJ says there were giants where we were last week. What? In the. up by Bari Gularon? Yeah, I think they have their own tower. Do they? All the enemies have their own towers in Bari Gularon. Have their own tower. Hmm. Maybe okay. there's a big, ugly, giant thing? I had forgotten that. Yeah, but we only got to like three towers. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Hmm. But those are clearly, well, I guess you could say maybe they're not. I was assuming they were ancient, but maybe they only looked ancient and are merely crude. Built by modern giants. I suppose it's possible. Maybe. Okay. All right. Anyway, okay. Um, So we're going to sign off this week. But next week we will do... The quest of the swords, I think this will be Narnian's, like, other than the epic chain to get past the statues, this will be the first quest <laughs> he's ever accomplished in his life. Um, it'll be an exciting moment. Uh, anyway, so we'll do the quest of the seven swords and, and then get in there, yeah. because now I need to see the inside of this tower, obviously. Especially if I'm to draw any conclusions about the difference between the stone in the, in the square and the round tower. So, yeah. you know... If I can get in it, 
I got to get in it. That's 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 <laughs> the story. So, okay, very good. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us, and we will see you next week for the quest of the seven swords. Very good. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.